Guys, welcome to Minefields. Colin just said something interesting. This plague just ain't going nowhere, is it? <laughs> plague is going nowhere. Uh, yeah, I got a buddy that I talk to uh, uh, like five or six times a day right now because we work together. He's my best guy to work with. Uh, and uh, he had, he was getting ready to work on a movie, and they are shut down because of COVID. Everybody on that show has COVID, apparently. And I'm like, is anybody vaccinated? And he's like, no. I'm like, and I'm like, dude, nobody's vaccinated? And then I get this list of who they are, and I'm like, given that I've worked with a lot of those people before, I kind of understand because... This is this is me not throwing anything out there necessarily, but it's a it's a faith based project. Oh, so loud. that is probably why. Are they not are because they, God wants you sick, people? God does not want you sick. Are they? Are they, God wants you happy, healthy, and making money, and making lots of lots of more people. But like, it ain't gonna happen if you don't get vaccinated. Are they making a mistake of fucking with Korean Jesus? They ain't got no time for their shit. Speaking of Korean Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> Korean Jesus don't got time for you. Man, that is a great movie. That is 21 Jump Street. Great movie. 22 Jump Street, also a great movie. Let me ask you this. Consequently, I started watching Falcon and Winter Soldier last night. Yeah. Is John Walker being portrayed by the same guy that played Jinko's uh, buddy in the on the football team? Let me double check. Is that how I know that guy? It just occurred to me. I just finished watching uh, Scarlet Witch and uh, Vision or WandaVision, and I and I watched Loki, which was this so guy's good. A shitload of stuff. I've seen. Yeah, that's him. Yeah. that's him in Twenty Two Jump Street. Yep. Oh, I wondered why he looked so familiar. Yeah, I'm only two episodes in. I, I really like it, uh, and it doesn't it doesn't move as fast as I want it to. It's on my list. I don't know. It's on my list to watch, along with we've got Suicide Squad to watch this weekend, which is going to be balls deep. Yeah, I do. Awesome. Yeah. That does yeah. look good. Yeah, uh, it's not Modoc, but it's all right. No, I, I gotta finish Modoc. Uh, just back to COVID. We got the uh, they moved us all out of our little uh, restrained, uh, socially distanced offices and moved everyone into one little small room that like is the worst ventilated. The air conditioner barely works in their room. I'm I'm smelling old lady farts all day long. I swear to God, the woman that sits next to me shit herself and then just doused herself in perfume because all I could smell for like three hours was shit and perfume and wow and uh wow they uh they were gonna let everyone back into the center uh back on uh August 1st and they put the kibosh on that because of the delta variant today we got the the notice that they're moving us all back into the offices and masks are mandatory again even if we've been vaccinated and wow. everyone's freaking out about it, except me, because that means free lunch until the end of the year. Ah, free lunch. I'll wear a mask for free-ass lunch. What about you? Yeah, we just got told to, we just got told to get to wear masks as well. I was about to ask you. Like, obviously, freaking working in a pharmacy. Yeah, what's it like on Ground Zero, man? Ah, uh, people are stupid. <laughs> we still got we still got people like. You know, every now and again, you get a guy that freaking will uh, get his card back and then run before he actually gets the shot. <laughs> not as often, not as often as originally, because we stopped doing really? that part. But yeah, freaking that's incredible. Like, um, yeah, especially the uh, 
some military folk will do it. Particularly, like they do, they do it all the time with flu. But I think it's been definitely been less with the uh, with COVID shots. Interesting. But every now and again, you'll you'll, try, you'll get a runner. Anywhere wow, in- a runner! I can't even believe that. Yeah. Oh yeah. As long oh. as long as they have the paperwork saying they got the shot, they're done. Yeah, they do. F- I remember they filled everything out before I actually got the shot. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. That's why. They, that's why they started making it a point not to give them the uh, the cards back until after they got the shot, because that's what you need. What do they do when they were planning that a run and then you don't give it back? Oh, then they get the shot. They're, they're screwed. They're stuck. They get the shot. They're stuck. All right. So they just stay there. All right. It's not that bad. Jeez. They need the card. Yeah, they need the you know, card. They're not going to freaking, they're not going to just, they're not going to go without the card. So. Well, I, uh, oh, man. I, don't, I don't really care as long as it doesn't fuck with wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope. That's, that's kind of the plan. Hopefully. Mm-hmm. See what happens. We've got we've got all out coming out and the possible debut of uh, Daniel Bryan and CM mm-hmm. Punk and maybe Bray Wyatt and Ric Flair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the what? Yeah, like I cannot believe the people that WWE is letting go. Daniel it, Bryan. Yeah, he's been fed up, man. It, it's interesting. It, it, it's 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 almost un, uncharted territory with some of the. Uh, the people that are letting go. You got some top tier talent freaking sliding through the cracks these days, and you kind of wonder. You know, they keep on talking about, oh, it's, it's budget cuts, this, it's budget cuts, that. We're trying to save money. Like you never, you, you've never made more money than you have with all these deals. Apparently, Braun Sorry, man. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I apologize. Oh no, I just I just finishing up. This thing is interesting. Apparently, Braun Strowman is uh, charging twenty k per occurrence uh, per appearance, and he is booked like in Saudi Arabia, and like he's got to have a hotel. I mean, like twenty thousand. Jesus Christ, dude. He's a big deal. He's been a big deal since before we went to see. Since we went to before we went to WrestleMania. He's not twenty thousand dollars worth to me, man. Hell no, no, I don't think so. Because I, I, you know, he's the big man and he's the physique and he's also a big personality and he can cut a promo. He can do a lot of stuff, but he's not. Uh, yeah, he's probably not that. No. I mean, he's not Seth Rollins. He's not. Uh, he's not. He's 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 a couple of. He's he's he's. I don't know. He's two bits better than Seth, Roman Reigns. I figure, but like. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I'm, this is me. This is the sound of me, like really mulling this stuff over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the whole thing. The whole thing is, you know, you gotta, you know, a lot of people talk about knowing your worth and being like, hey, you know, at the end. And there's, but there's another thought process behind it of charging so much that nobody wants to use you. I, I've heard of that happening previously, where a guy, if you don't want to work somewhere, you give them an outrageous amount of, you ask for an outrageous amount of money. The thought process being a, you don't want to. If you don't want to work there, they're not going to pay it. Yeah. And B, if they're stupid enough to pay it, yeah, you work, but you're walking out with a stupid amount of money. Damn. 
I have maybe tried that once working on a commercial, and uh, it turned out to work out okay for me. I mean, I took the job. I asked for an idiotic amount of money, but that was because I was, I'd already worked for that advertising, or not the advertising agency, I'd already worked for that production company once, and I was like, this is, this is, this is going to be out of control. This is flying in on Friday night, tech scouting all day Saturday, and then being like, okay, you can get all this turned around by tomorrow, right? And I'm like, tomorrow is Sunday. I would have to shop all one day. Like, I need a business day. Nothing is open, you know? And it's like knowing that's going to happen and being like, yeah, I'll do this for this outrageous you know, mass multiple hundreds of dollars per day. And they're like, okay, well, you're, you're who we've got, so we've got to do it. And then it's like, oh, God, they really, really want me to do it. But, like, sometimes it's turned out okay, and other times it's like, okay, well, you know, Easily forgettable job, but I made a ton of money. Yeah. Alistair There's Black. probably a really great, fun narrative story about somebody doing this, okay. you know, like to be written. I think this is a story that could easily be written and it'd be cute and it'd be one of those guys at the end of their, like they're hating their life at that moment and then they just, they fall in love with it on the other end. They're like, oh my gosh, you know, this is such a good idea to go to Schenectady, New York and do a signing or something like that. Mm-hmm. Ah. Ah. The, uh, all the comics I've read that are other than Mother Trucker and the, the other one we haven't finished reading yet. Well, I finished reading it, but, um, is like, it's, it's all the, it's like a huge hodgepodge of everything that we know of the dark part of the, of the wrestling business. Like ringside, mm-hmm. ringside immediately in their first, like three, four issues touched on, um, the, the lore of um, having to put out to the, the gay promoters um, the there was the, there was the quintessential because it was based in like like guys that were big in the 80s and the up and coming guys that were like late 90s and uh, around that time and um, if I remember correctly but they, they, they took a lot of those old like stories of, of the you know what I'm talking about, Tony. Um, there, there was the quintessential Vince McMahon. There was their, they had their, uh, their uh, Eric Bischoff. They had their Stone Cold, and they, they took like you know, alcoholism, drug abuse, uh, you know, prescription and illicit uh, combined, uh, getting shitty gimmicks and saying no, and then getting fired, and then the 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 one guy that will do it, you know, gets screwed over, and it's. What you just said, I've never heard before. Like, we need more of that. Gotcha. No. We need, we need more of that. Um, Alistair Black, uh, or uh, a.k.a. Um, Malachi Black. Malachi Black was on Y2J Kostureko, My Heroes podcast today, and it was phenomenal. The guy was, uh, you would never know that he was Dutch. His English was better than oh. all of us combined. He... He told some great stories about building his gimmick, uh, working in progress, uh, getting found by NXT, getting demoted to the main roster, um, the fact that they, <laughs> they demoted. Yeah, they fucked up his his contract and forgot to give him a ninety day clause instead of the thirty one that he like initially had, and uh-huh. how much fun it is to work for AEW. And I I I I, I, wanted, I wanted to bring this up because. Tony, you know way more about WCW than I do. Like, like, I'm a drop in the in the in in the ocean when it comes to my knowledge of WCW. What okay. when, when you, what you're seeing now, 
uh, all these guys leaving, because what I do remember is that like they were seduced by uh, guaranteed contracts and just getting pissed off at Vince in general. And I don't see... You know, they get guaranteed contracts, you know, both both uh, feds now, but do you, mm-hmm. what parallels do you see and what do you see that AEW is doing different from WCW? Well, I think with the, the thing with WCW is uh, really like they were making they were making them they they ran the gambit the gamble of going head to head with Vince like that was that was a balls move like Bischoff who was in charge at the time really um, openly declared war well not even that but he he had experience because he was an, he he had experience. In other aspects of the of companies for years, like he was in the AWA as an announcer, if I remember correctly, as to where he got his starts. Um, but like he'd been around for a while, but he was, you know, kind of the same thing. You know, he he answered directly to Ted Turner, and he would, you know, hey, you know, Ted Turner wanted to compete with Vince, and he was like, as the legend goes, you know, what can, what do we need to do to compete with Vince? Right. And he's like, give me prime time, give me Monday nights. I need I need more money. I need more stars. You know, we need to make this bigger. Mm-hmm. You know, AEW differently is like I don't feel like they're trying to compete with the with make they're not trying to make a mistake of going head to head with Vince. Like freaking, they don't like they're compete. They're, they're a rival wrestling company, but they're not actually in competition. And I always, I've always said that that's that's a smart way to do it. Because if you make an enemy with somebody, like if they can, you know, if Vince really wants to come after you, that's when things can turn around at the drop of a hat. You're you absolutely know. right about that. But like, you know, but because like Vince really, you know, Vince, when Vince got mad, when WCW, they freaking, you know, everyone talks about we had Austin, we had The Rock. Yeah. But like yeah. they made it a point to like make stars out of everybody you know you would you would, you know austin and rocket top yeah underneath you had degeneration x you had freaking the nation of domination Godfather. you had you know you would ever you would freaking um you know you know, all the hot new up-and-comers yeah uh, you know you had freaking uh edge and christian the brood the hardys you know, apa coming up you know freaking they stole jericho they stole uh Chavo. they were they stole. Nah, nah, not necessarily. Like, freaking, that was the thing they did right. Was they they did they went after instead of going after the top guys. WWE was picking up the freaking the mid card guys that were constantly stealing the show. Right. You know, which is funny because that's what AEW is doing now. Is they're really going after you know you're getting you're getting a lot of the the mid you know mid card guys in WWE. But these were the guys, like, the internet fans were salivating over, you know, Malachi Black, Amiro, oh, yeah. um, you know, all these all these cats, you know, Sean Spears, you know, Sean Spears freaking was one of the top three most over guys in NXT when he was in NXT, mm-hmm. you know, he was, he was, it was all these guys that, like, people really cared about, like, had emotional connections to as far as wrestlers. Right. But the company didn't really give two craps about Miro freaking as Rusev could have been one of the hottest guys in the company for WWE. His storyline was amazing. Had they freaking given him anything, 
you know, they made that whole thing about, oh, hey, uh, Bobby Lashley stole your wife. You know, this this, <laughs> yeah. this this dude at one point came out at WrestleMania in a freaking tank. In a tank. That's probably one. That's probably one of the coolest WrestleMania entrances of the last ten years, hands down. Agree. Freaking so, like at one point they really cared, but they freaking you know he you know he got over organically after that. And freaking the 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 no, they the company crapped on him. It just wasn't. It wasn't. He wasn't what he could have been, you know. And uh, you talk about your freaking you know, AEW saved him, but his his original run in AEW wasn't particularly great. It wasn't. It wasn't until he started becoming this killing machine, the Redeemer, and all that God, that like he God, really God. started. Yeah, he really started unloading. But like that's that's the that's you know that's one of the biggest things is that WWE would would grab those mid card cats, and freaking that now AEW's doing it. Now if if you know when these contracts start coming up, and guys start choosing WWE over AEW, as far as like leaving AEW for WWE, yeah, then it will get interesting. Why? Like if we see if we see say like a Sammy Guevara. Or a freaking uh, an MJF. Everyone's gonna want to. Or, know so, why. Or, or even so much as Jericho. They're going to. If Jericho goes back for one more run, not even so much why, but it'll be interesting to see what they do with them. Oh man. Because like, I've been like, I'll, me and my wife go off on all the time. Like one of my favorite guys in freaking TNA or Impact now of the last five years was Eli Drake. I thought he had. He, you know, he might not be the best quote, you know, in-ring wrestler, blah blah blah, but the guy's got a great look. He's freaking sick on the mic. He's freaking, you know, he's got he's great. But like, you look at him, you watch him on NXT. You know, freaking this LA Knight, what he calling himself now? He's a poor man's Eli Drake. He's got exactly the same. He's got exactly the same gimmick, but he's got a stupid name, and it just comes. He comes off like a light version. Of freaking Eli Drake, yeah, and but, it'll be if they can make these guys into if they could take like an MJF or Sammy Guevara, let's say, just throw those two names out there, yeah, and really make them stars in WWE, like actually like legit stars on the main roster. I'd watch it. I'd watch. Raw it'd be. It'd be, it'd be. In, eh, maybe, but it, they're a piece of a pie. But it'd be if they actually could take these guys and make them bigger stars. Then, then things will get interesting. But like, if they end up freaking, you know, like say a ricochet, where this guy should be so much bigger than he is, mm-hmm. and he doesn't, and they just they just fall flat with the fans for whatever reason, yeah. be it creative or whatever, just because creative is always the easiest thing to blame. Of course. Then it's like then, then next thing you know, two year, you know, their contracts up, they're back in AEW again or somewhere else. Then it's like, why waste your time? So that, that's where things will get interesting. That's a good point. I'm loving the fact that AEW isn't signing everyone that comes in, uh, you know, you know, tries their salsa. They uh, they didn't sign um, uh, Cabrera, or what's his name? Uh, why am I spacing? I'm always spacing on names. Uh, does the toy podcast. Oh, Cardona. Cardona. They yeah. Sign, they didn't sign Cardona. They, I seriously doubt they're going to sign Juventud Guerrera. Uh, I can't wait to watch that match, by the way. Um, 
That'll be interesting, that's for sure. Nick Gage, I doubt he's gonna. I doubt that guy's gonna get signed. I, I, I think that guy is. And I don't. I don't want to say flavor of the week, but they know they're showing off their good taste and letting him get, you know, putting the spotlight on him and then letting him go where they want to go. And I'm sure when he wants to come back, he'll be welcomed. They just might not give him a contract right away. And they're still. I still feel that they're they're staying true to their to their main roster and, and doing everything they can to make. Uh, Everyone that, that is working their asses off on um, being the elite and, you know, just backstage and doing it. Like, Britt Baker, like, I honestly didn't see that coming, like, from the very beginning. I'm, I'm it, As I followed it, yeah, she deserved it. I'm glad they didn't, you know, book some WWE chick that just showed up that had a huge name and then pushed her to the side. And I don't think they would have, even if they had done that exact thing. And it's, it's just a lot of fun. You don't know what to expect. I mean, like, we saw the, the match with Cardona uh, two weeks ago, and it was a barn burn. Like, and I love yeah. watching all the, the little little things that uh, came out about it. Like, Cardona made more money off of his T-shirts for that match than he made for the match. Um, the fans are, are you know, they, you hate the word. I, I think we need to come up with a different word for, yeah, we're... I, I, I didn't think calling myself a smart mark five years ago was a bad thing, but now I can I can see the derogatory sense to it, and I mm. yeah not too not too much uh, of a fun word to use anymore. But I appreciate you sharing that, man, because that's a that's a lot of insight. Because every time someone gets fired from WWE, the first thing everyone says on the fucking rag sheets is, "When are they getting signed from AEW?" Like. Give them a chance. Yeah. Give them a chance to make up their own goddamn mind. I love the fact that Mox decided to go and just go everywhere. Like uh, I, I sent you the photo that him and um, him and uh, Callahan are teaming up again. I can't wait to see that. Huh. That that's yeah, that'll be good. It's, it's going to be great just for just the the nostalgia alone. But those guys have they've they've elevated themselves in the past 10 15 years and I'm I'm really proud of it and I'm proud of the sport I'm proud to be a fan of it and I I really hope that our listeners that you know that they don't find themselves uh I, I was never ashamed cuz I was always a goth nerd to to wear a wrestling shirt but I know there's a lot of people out there that were ashamed to wear you know wrestling shirts back in the day <laughs> And yeah, goth nerd as evidenced by the photos you sent this week. Yeah, <laughs> good hair by the way. You look really good. Doing the Dakin thing, man. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I quote, and, and I, if I remember correctly, uh, this is a, a an abridged version of what happened. Uh, we went to uh, my raid my comic stash this weekend. And yeah. we found some we found some stuff I was comfortable parting with, but as Tony's going through things, he's like, "You have a first appearance of Carnage," and I'm like, "No, I don't." He's like, "Then what the fuck am I fucking looking at, you fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty 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 much word for word. And I look at it, I'm like, "Oh yeah, that is the first print. Oh, I own the first appearance of Carnage. Alrighty then. I have the I have uh, one of the, two of the two of the three. There's the 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 middle one I don't have, and no. mm-hmm. so that was cool. That was fun pricing that. Stray Dogs is worth a lot of money. I I made good on my promise uh, to Miss Morales because Mr. Morales is a put your money where your mouth is guy. I found him a uh, Wolverine Origins number ten, first appearance of Dakin. Got 
Yeah. One of the, the, the Arthur Studium uh, variant cover I totally fucking forgot I had. <laughs> nice. And um, it was, this is, it was, I, I'm bringing it up because I brought it up last time. I'm a sappy asshole. You're one of my best friends. I'm fucking proud to give you that sort of shit. I don't want anything for it. I just, you, you deserve that shit, man. And I do the same for, for Colin, and Colin's done the same for me. And, I re- and I'm solely, uh, this isn't me saying I did something good to, you know, self-aggrandize. I'm bringing it up because I hope you minefielders out there have friends the same way that we have here and to, to have that sort of rapport. Like, you deserve this more. Or, like, you know, I saw this, you got to go get it right now. If you don't have that, run out and find it because if you don't have it, life is fucking meaningless and without bros like this. So we got comics, <laughs> we got, we got comics to talk about. We got, uh, let's, um, who wants to sound off first? Oh, let me, let, let me let me read the listy here. Yeah, let's see what we got. Crushing Lobo number three, Suicide Squad number six, Batman number one eleven, Daredevil number thirty two, Something Is Killing the Children number eighteen, Star Trek year five number twenty three, Cable number twelve, Made in Korea number one through three, and a retrospective on Star Wars Dark Empire number one through motherfucking six. Who wants to sound off first? Because it ain't gonna be me. Uh, yeah, I'll go. I want to talk about this uh, Made in Korea business. Excellent. And oddly enough, I cannot find my first issue of it. It's peeving me to know, no end. I know it's in that. I know it's in that apartment because when you got it, you wanted to talk about it, but then we were winding yeah. down. We were winding down. It's somewhere in your house. Oh. Yeah. No, I don't want to get up and go grab it, but it's right over there. Uh, this is an interesting book. It's an image book. It's uh, it's by Jeremy Holt. The art is by George Shaw, and the lettering is by Adam Woolett. Uh, it's it's something you kind of catch on the on this. I'm not going to call it the newsstands necessarily, but you go to the comic book shop and you're the comics book, you know, you go in there and you're checking out your normal stuff and you see this and it stands out, interestingly enough, because I think of its graphical elements. Its covers are running a theme. The only character in color is uh, is the girl from the story. Uh, everybody else is in black and white so that you focus in on it and basically what's going on and it does not say exactly what year this is happening, but a company called Wujin in Korea uh, has uh, started developing artificial humans, Ooh. and people are. And it's interesting because it's this isn't something that we've never seen before. It's just something that's like, what's the take, you know? And um, I mean. I don't want to go so far in and start talking about AI, if you guys remember that movie starring Haley Joel Osment and Jude Law. Or you could do Ex Machina, the movie, or the comic, or you could do uh, The Matrix, um, Ghost, yeah, I mean, these, Ghost in the Shell. They're not clones, necessarily, I mean, but there are some cloned materials involved. These are for people, these, these, these beings are for people who have suffered a loss, and they're trying to sort of replace what they have going on in their life, uh, what they're missing. And uh, yeah. the, um, the, the interesting element at the, is that there's the, there's the main through line of the story with this family who have, uh, I guess, you know, bought or procured one of these proxies is what they're called. And then 
as if this is going to I, I like this as if this is going to blow up into something much bigger there are like short stories tacked on to the end of each of these issues that are called proxy stories and they're their own stories that are portrayed in a completely different uh illustrated aspect sometimes it's like a oneer it's like sometimes it's like a one page story sometimes it's uh like a nine or uh twelve frame thing like a pa- like panels but it's all taking up one page so it's it it cannot this one or two page th- uh thing tacked onto the end cannot uh, overwhelm any of the main through line of the story. But basically, like I'm trying to get at, the main through line is that this couple has got a little girl and she is way more than any normal proxy that has ever been released because this guy from the company who is in danger of being fired because he's kind of a tool bag um, has uh, um, he's he's created a prototype software to massively enhance the capabilities of one of the proxies. So this girl is in the United States. Her mother is is a Mandarin-speaking Chinese, and her new father is a very standard white guy character. We don't know what they necessarily do for a living, but this girl has to go to school because she's of that school age. They activate her. And, uh, like, the class knows that she's a proxy, but, and then they pick on her. And I'm like, if this was the thing that was going on, wouldn't we probably get beyond that? But it was interesting because, no, we don't as kids, you know, we're middle schoolers or junior high kids or whatever. Kids are and sociopaths, man. Kids are horrible at that these ages. I was relentlessly chewed on by by the popular kids and and then especially in middle school and i reacted so poorly to it that it made me even more of a target and it took me until i was maybe 26 to start developing any kind of self-confidence and then uh which isn't to say i didn't have a certain degree of self-confidence around my friends but like then I think I was in my 30s and I started seeing professional accomplishment as an adult and See, everything changed for me. You you made the mistake of not being a junior or senior that was taking advantage of all the freshmen that were paying attention to you. That's what I and I also I don't, had a, I don't think there were any because also, there were only three years in my school. I also had an exceptional taste in music, so I was uh-huh. I was I was set and I had cool hair. So I think I think my problem was also like i was from a very sheltered family uh so it's not like i didn't watch aliens and predator and you know rambo and stuff like that we were in taekwondo my brother and i and we were boy scouts and uh so we learned a lot of stuff but and we socialized with adults a lot but like people that was the thing i was like these people don't give me a hard time why do i gotta go to this school and get get like frustrated with people who can't seem to just be civil yeah you know and it was this whole thing so it's kind of odd because i'm reading this story and by the second issue this young girl has this young girl proxy prototype has become the butt of a lot of jokes and then she gets taken away by these two seemingly older boys 
and they've got this shack in the woods, and you just get a creepy vibe because she can't, she does not appear more than like 12 or 13. And it's like, what good could come of this? And it's not, it's terrible. There are all of these weapons in this in this shack. They seem like nice guys, but they also seem creepy. This sounds and, awesome. And they're they're they've got all of these guns and they've got all of these knives and all of this other junk. And in the third issue, uh she there's two plot lines going on. This one and the guy who is her essentially her creator who has come to the U.S. and is trying to get her back, even knowing that he's been fired from the company, and now he's impersonating a company officer saying, I need to get her back. But nothing has ever said for what reason this is necessary in, in that plot line. So he's interacting with uh, her parents. The school calls and says, you know, we haven't seen her in four days. What's going on? Is is everything okay? And they're like, what are you talking about? You know, she's been coming home, and uh, we chased off these boys that brought her home the other night. But So all this pressure is coming down on this family. And, and they're like, so then we next see her, and she's, like, chopped her hair, and she's in this other weird clothes that we haven't seen her in before. And she is... She is going someplace with these boys with pipe bombs that are filled with nails. And it's like, what is about to happen? And like the the pressure, like I say, is just getting more and more powerful the more you read it, the more you read it. And that's the crazy thing is like the first issue is like, oh, this is an interesting sci-fi thing. Second issue is like, okay, we're seeing how this could all go awry. And then the third issue is like, oh, my gosh, this girl is being like, is she? She's totally being lied to by these guys. What are these guys' freaking agenda? And so, yeah, like it's just such a scary thing to behold in the last couple of pages. This is wonderful, and, man. I can't wait to yeah. read this. I put it on my Dude, list. It's to, totally to, worth it. It's to, absolutely worth it. I, I put it on my list uh, to, to call Muse tomorrow and make sure. Or should I call Muse or Eds? What did I say when they were Eds? Uh, I get my indies over at. I get the. Oh, no, I wish I remembered. No, no, no. I was yeah. like, t- talking to, to Morales. I, I get my mains from... Uh, mains from Ed, probably. Indies from... Indies from Muse. Indies from Muse. Muse always has the best goddamn indies. However, the deep dive indies are at Ed's. <coughs> it's, it's, it's That's a, the good stuff, it's, man. It's when a, you can go someplace and find something you've never even heard of before... Oh, you know, like, this is intense. What if you just like came to Colorado Springs and you and Morales and I and possibly uh, Morales Jr. Uh, hit up five comic stores in one day and like come back with the juice? Like we have the juice. Morales and I have never failed on any of our expeditions. It's always been deep dives. Yeah, always. That's true. Always been deep dives. We got that kismet going on. We have, uh, he's got his list. Oh, I've got a moleskin for you, by the way. Um, Ooh, those are nice. Yeah, those, yeah, they're, they're, they, they, they're, they're, they're cool. Um, anyway, that's that. Yeah, seriously, it's a good book. Uh, it's fascinating. It really creates a lot of different vibes and the, the level of discomfort and concern that you have for these characters. And really, that's the crazy thing is like these parents, whatever is about to happen to them, they don't deserve this problem. And the adolescent, yeah. the adolescent uh, turmoil, like going from yeah. 
like plain Jane to like cyberpunk all of a sudden and making pipe bombs. Jesus. Like, I don't even know. She, I'm like, does she even know what she's doing? They're taking advantage of her particular genius and that uh, that quality that her creator is trying to get back. Uh, the last the last image in the third issue is of the those two boys looking for all the world by like Clive Olden Harris right before the Columbine shooting. It's terrifying. Yeah, you know, it's <clears throat> just. Because I, I want to transition into Crush, uh, Crush and Lobo, in, especially mm-hmm. regards to the taking advantage of adolescent uh, plight, is uh, how scary it is to write a good story. And I haven't written a story like that. I don't think any of us have. Uh, I do know for a fact that, like, I don't have a conspiracy theory I've got, but they, they, they all coincide with what's going on right now, what could possibly be happening uh, with COVID and, and things shutting down. And uh, the the fact that the government is like releasing, like, you know, you know, video, video transcriptions trans- of actual UFOs, and yeah, when nine eleven happened, right after, remember, it was a big deal about a book that ha- that came out a couple of years beforehand about terrorists doing the exact same goddamn thing with planes on the World Trade Center. And then when I see what happened with COVID, I think that the people that, um, I don't think it, I just, it's one of those things that it could possibility, like maybe they, they either, they did not read V for Vendetta, but they definitely saw the movie. You, you invent a virus, yeah. you invent a virus and then you invent the cure and you force it on everyone. And all of a sudden, like you're, you're trying to take over, uh, which is not going to happen in these United States, um, where we get a dictator. Uh, but then I think about the X-Files, and then at the same time they're talking about aliens like possibly being a real thing. With Not saying they're from another world, but they're unidentified and doing things that yeah. we in no way uh, public knowledge that we have this technology. Uh, in the X-Files, the government, the, the shadow corporation uh, that the cigarette smoking man was the, the stooge of... He, they knew about the aliens, had made a pact with them, and were planning to betray them um, because aliens were coming to invade us. But they weren't like just the, the, the gray-headed with the big eyes. They were, they were that, that black oil. And the, one of the biggest storylines that went through everything was the vaccine. Yeah, was, yeah. And, and, mm-hmm. and figuring out a way to trick people to take the take the vaccine, which would prevent the black oil from infesting them and taking over their bodies. Um, once it took over your body, it could uh, emit like high, like ridiculous amounts of radiation and just roast you. Um, th- there's that, and th- all of that going on. Uh, my whole point of this is, I'm not saying this is what I think. What I'm saying is, is that. When you read a story like this, there's like, is there now a social responsibility that once you put a story out into the ether, that if someone follows it, that you just wrote a blueprint for destruction because you had a good, cool, interesting idea? Um, that's scary to me, like, because I have a lot of weird apocalyptic stories, and I don't. Some of them I don't want to put on paper because of everything I've read and after that 9-11 thing I, I'm saying. Um, well, yeah. If, if someone took grass of, of made, made in Korea and, and formed that clique 
and did mm-hmm. something bad, and then it comes back on comic books, and then like there's a lot of people dead because someone had a fun idea that we put on three dollars worth of funny paper. Um, my question is, do you guys ever contemplate or worry about any of your ideas getting out of hand like that, or ideas like that in general just getting out of hand? I concern myself with one or two of my stories and the idea that uh, someone's going to misunderstand it. I mean, I was talking, this is a silly thing to say, but I was talking about this kind of concept the other day. First of all, I'm reading Red Storm Rising by Tom Clancy. Yeah. So Tom Clancy's a big deal to me lately. I've been listening to the, his books and I really, really appreciate a lot of them. Really liking the Jack Ryan TV series with John Krasinski and others. And uh, um, he wrote a novel where a Japanese airliner crashes into the uh, Congress building during a State of the Union address and kills every freaking buddy. And and I'm like, that was not a blueprint for 9-11, you know? Uh, that, that wasn't it. They asked him that on the news. They asked Tom Clancy, do you think you had something to do with that? And he's like, no. I mean, you can... It's, it's just because you come up with a thought, it doesn't mean that somebody else hasn't come up with that before. That's the hardest part of being a creative, is being like, nobody's going to like this, because somebody's definitely done it. But the thing that I appreciate the most is, you know, I I did a job with a 23-year-old young lady, and we talked to each other in a van for hours on the way back from working out of state, and I told her about the plot of my novel and she was totally bowled over by all of these things that were going on and I'm like everything's new to somebody the first time it's new to them but then you know I'm worried about a different story that's a true story that I've written uh, and I'm like people are just going to look at that and think that's that's white supremacy or that that's you know the Klan or something and I'm like it's not those guys were not doing that for uh, a lot of reasons, and and uh, I don't want to go into that entire th- detail, but it's because about, it's masked vigilantes. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not talking about Waco, but oh, um, a different one. Okay, gotcha. A different Waco. No, uh, it's about uh, it's about masked vigilantes that really existed, and after they'd been riding around doing what they were doing for so long, they all started legitimately wearing masks instead of like bandanas and stuff. And uh, they were terrifying, but they were not wearing sheets. They were not wearing clan robes and hoods, you know. But, like, it's not, it doesn't take anybody, it doesn't take anything in this charged environment for people to misunderstand what they're seeing and say, well, that's white supremacy and I don't want to have anything to do with it. And then, I mean, honestly, right now, maybe it's more controversial. Maybe it would get more... Our, Attention. Our society is in a pupa stage right now. We're we're developing, and we just we just uh, technology advanced faster than our human brains can actually comprehend yeah. it. And now we're being inundated with so much information, and we 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 go online and you you search for something, and next thing you know, like there was a time I searched for something on my personal computer at work. And then had to go to Google to look up something, and there was mm-hmm. an ad for what I looked for. It was, yep. it was, even though I'm not signed into my Google uh, at work, it's still new. There, it was, it was, it was too specialized of a search to be a coincidence. 
and like it, it, the algorithm will find you. Um, uh, I, I want to wrap it up to just, you know, you, we've got a lot to learn, and we've. I wanted to talk about Crush and Lobo, um, just briefly. It's the last story I told you about was acceptance and Lobo's on his best behavior. But the the I I did not like the first issue. I loved the second issue, but it it at the same time though my placated mind was ready for like a knockdown drag out something Lobo doing some betrayal but instead he is like wanting to talk he's going to therapy um, he's really advancing in therapy <laughs> in this in this super prison in 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 this, in, in the uh, ether space and um, I was placated and I felt comfortable and I thought it was awesome. He wants to fucking meet and learn about his gay daughter, which is an awesome thing, which everyone should do. It should not be something after the fact, but, you know, Lobo, it Lobo's years ago. Years ago. Well, well, this issue, this she, issue. she finally gets to meet him on uh, Get to Meet Your uh, Inmate, and <laughs> he betrays the living dog shit out of him, like the, out of her. Like, the, there's scanners that are constantly scanning that you're in the right spot. And he's like, go to therapy with me. You know, I, you know, he didn't say he was sorry, but like he was just willing to learn. And that that was enough for her. And she goes to she goes to get something from a vending machine because he's hungry and she wants a snack. And the scanner scan her, and it says, you know, prisoner something something something. You are out of reach. <laughs> and Lobo's already on his way out. He's already he's already getting his fucking duffel bag with his fucking clothes. Like, like he's already fully clothed and she's already in a chair, locked down, incarcerated. And I'm loving the story and uh, I wanted to bring this one up because when we were in the this is a limited series I expect this to be like a, a six issue series uh, at the most I, I really don't think it can last longer than that but um, it reminded me of when we were going through my boxes and I was like have you read uh, Claws uh, where it's um, oh, yeah. Black Cat and Wolverine uh, right. written illustrated J. Michael, yes. J. Lindsner. Lindsner. and I should have grabbed those for you man. Like, yeah I should have grabbed those for you because it was a like two six issue series I want to say like ten years apart from each other mm-hmm. uh, I should have grabbed those the next time I'm there because I gotta go drop some stuff off I'm gonna grab those for you man but uh yeah, spoiler alert, but there's so much more meat and potatoes in this in this issue. The artwork was absolutely phenomenal. I I, I, I love just looking at Lobo just in general, especially the way they draw him because they, they have more fun with him than most people do with Wolverine because he's got the, the, the semi-Nightwing face and the, the cool mustache and the the mutton chops and the, the, the muscles. But we've got uh, Mariko uh, Tamaki writing this, artist Amon Clay... Oh, Jesus Christ, man. It's been a while since it was. Amonclay Nahulpan. We always get over this. Colors, tomorrow, Bonvillain. Letters, Ariana Maher. And cover, Bernard Chang. Beautiful, beautiful painted cover. Like, old school 90s cover. Like, really got that visceral, like, D&D. Like, this this should be in a heavy metal issue. Like, like this cover should and could be a cover of heavy metal. That's that's what I got on that one, guys. But cool. I tried to do five minutes and I went eight. 
Sorry. That's right. I'm ready. Give us some Suicide Squad, brother. Alright, we got Suicide Squad number six. The uh, Black Guards, or not Black Guard, freaking Bloodsport, is on Earth 3, home of the Crime Syndicate, and he got captured by Ultraman. And uh, we kind of start off with the first page on that. Next thing you know, we've got the squad back on our Earth, Earth 1, um, and they are trying to capture Night Terror, who is a phaser, and apparently they are able to capture her because only parts of her can phase at a time, and they end up using her abilities to take the squad two or three to capture or to get um, Bloodsport back. And Bloodsport, the whole reason Bloodsport's on Earth and they, uh, 3 on the first place is to capture their version of Black Canary. Now, they, want her, they want her for the squad. Now, before you go too far, uh, the meat and potatoes here for me was Amanda Waller and this uh, mad scientist here. You know, they, they, they capture the phaser. Well, what's her name again? Uh, Night Terror. Night Terror. And, oh, God damn it, I wish I hadn't got that medical degree. And they, they got her on the on the gurney and just like, uh, not sure if this is any consolation, but you'll live. And you just see the scalpel go to her forehead. And I'm like, God damn it, Waller, you bastard. I love you. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. You know, the, the, I think the, one of the big questions of Waller is always freaking, is she actually a bad person? Or is she the best of us because she's willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done? She reminds me of the cigarette smoking man from the X-Men. I'm sorry, the X-Files. And it's like he was always the biggest villain. But what it turned out was was he was the one that was trying to make the vaccine to save Earth from from the black oil. And that was not something that was revealed to us for a solid, like, uh, nine seasons. But it, the more you villainize them, and then they, like, there was an episode called the, um, the Musings of a Cigarette Smoking Man. He's the one that killed Kennedy. Like, he's, he was trying to write sci-fi novels the whole time. Um... That they showed all this extra stuff. I hope they do something like that with Waller, because exactly what you said. I think that's. I, I think she is the best of us. I hope. It's a possibility. It's definitely. It's it's always interesting because like Waller, because the New Fifty Two they brought up that she's got three kids, I believe. Yep. And, uh, you know, the whole thing, the whole reason she was always trying to say it's trying to make the world a better place for them, and like she ends up making it. Because I believe her daughter has Waller's first grandchild, and Waller just wants to be there. So it's like she's definitely got stuff that she, she's not just this heartless government person. Right. She, uh, but she's always she's always able to flip that switch, and that switch is on probably ninety nine percent of the time. Point nine. <laughs> but it means that it means that that one percent means that much more because she's freaking when she does break down and she shows why it means that much more. But and also we end up 
on Earth three with the with the squad, and they're trying to find trying to find freaking Bloodsport, and they turn around and there's Ultraman, and it's it's interesting to see how everybody handles Superboy because he's you know, he's a clone. And, like, everyone just keeps bringing up the fact that he's just... Like, he even among this group of outsiders, he doesn't belong. Is he the clone from Reign of Superman? I have that question. He, no, he, oh, yeah. no, he's not. He is, uh, he's, um... I know it's, it's mixed him and... It's, Superman's DNA mixed with Lex Luthor's DNA, but I believe this is a different... Uh, Superboy, as opposed to that Superboy, but I could be wrong about that. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't reading at the time. But you know, Ultraman being like, the whole thing with Ultraman is that he's the reverse version of Superman. So how super, like how Superman's, you know, his one big weakness is Kryptonite. Ultraman's actually addicted to Kryptonite. <laughs> he's Tony Montana, man. <laughs> Pretty much. But uh, he ends up, Ultraman ends up just completely ripping one of the members to shreds, Branch. Oh, that's Just sucked. rips him in half. Epic, epic little panel there. Yeah. But while, while members of the squad are fighting Ultraman, uh, Noctera turns around and she actually possesses their version of Black Canary. And turns her, turns her against Superman long enough for them to try to make a run for it. And Superboy is trying to hold off Super, uh, Ultraman by himself as the squad makes a run to try to get back to back to our Earth. And you know they end up, you know, Waller's trying to get them out of there as quickly as she can, and. Uh, Freaking Superboy, you know, Superboy and Ultraman are just going at it, and they end up running, and the final, they end up in a different, another alternate Earth, and apparently they're somewhere in Russia, in a secret city, and they've got they've got Bloodsport with them now, and they've got um, the the Black Canary from Earth three, and Superboy's mad because he's he's just still trying to figure out what. What Waller know what Waller has on him, and he's just like you know I, I need answers, and then somebody off page is just like that's funny. So do I. Starting with who the hell are you? And there's another Superboy from whatever re- version of Earth they're on, which actually looks more like the Superboy from Reign of the Superman. Yeah, he's he interesting enough. He's got the the gun holster. Mm-hmm. He, he's packing. Um, let's let's rewind a bit before we we talk about the ending too much. Um, uh, the owl, please help me. The, 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 his his vernacular is growing. He was exposed by Red X. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, Talon, yeah. Yeah, Talon, and yeah, I'm terrible the names, man. I apologize. And we, we've got Are that you? we've got that story going. The other thing is is that the the, the Suicide Squad has always delivered. It, like, the, they just succeeded in their mission. They lost 
uh, uh, one of their compatriots. Not only did Ultraman rip him in half, but burned him. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, but burned him. Like, like you know, he scorched the earth on that one. Uh, yeah, they, they got away. Mission accomplished. We've got the existential crisis of the fact that Superboy knows for goddamn fact now that he, when his mind is constantly being obtrusively penetrated, I think Waller wants to make sure that the telepath is can is doing everything she can to get stronger to make sure that Superboy can't remember something. And he knows it. Uh, I, I was listening to uh, the, the Malachi Black podcast today, and he was talking about uh, developing his character in AEW and in WWE, uh, or, uh, yeah, WWE, and how his character was kind of based on someone, uh, like, what if, like, he was reading the stories about how, uh, you know, Lucifer, you know, fell from, fell from heaven. He, he was like, what if I looked at it as if, uh, the, the main story goes that Lucifer falls and he wants to, you know, get revenge. But what if he showed up with amnesia and rather than want to get revenge, realizes there's something bad in him and that he's done something really wrong and doesn't remember it and hopes that his newfound amnesia and drive to do better can fix it. And that really popped in my head when I was reading this. Yeah. Those kind of stories are interesting. It's taking a base story you've we've all heard and kind of flipping it on its ear. Oh yeah, you know, it's it's making a you know, it, it's you know everybody they, they talk about everybody's the hero in their own story, and like really it's like what if what if what if Satan you know what if what if Lucifer was the good guy? You know, I was kind of throwing that out there into a different aspect. What if he, what if he chose to leave as opposed to was forced out? You know, there's all kinds of different ways to look at it if you really want to. Right. You know, for you, me and me and you can have a disagreement, let's say, and Colin as the, the third party, you know, maybe he takes a side, maybe he adds, maybe he looks at it and, like, he gets both sides of the story to try to get to, you know, what he believes to be the truth somewhere in the middle, you know, and it could be, it could be something completely simple, it could be something, you right. know, massive, whatever. Right, right. But, I mean, there's always two sides to a story, and sometimes you really need to make a point to see things from both sides maybe not necessarily to get a correct answer but just for the interest of it something something <laughs> we, we may have both missed like for example now that you said that what would I have missed when or, or, or didn't see or, or that what Colin could come, come in with because he hasn't read this one is back to what you're saying about Amanda Waller is she the best of us what the fuck is her desire to recruit Swamp Thing? You cannot control him. There's no way she's going to be able to put a bomb in Swamp Thing. He's too, yeah. he's too amorphous. What is her desire for Swamp Thing? We all know Swamp Thing wants to be left alone right now. <laughs> yeah. And th that's another thing I didn't actually mention was that they, she, sent, uh, she sent Peacemaker and a couple of D-listers who I don't recognize to, to grab Swamp Thing. And you know, Waller's talking about how, you know, 
she's she can't prove it, but she's certain that Peacemaker helped flag uh, Rick Flag escape Belle Reeve. Oh yeah. Well, like, but and, but why? A why is she looking for you know? She's looking for Swamp Thing. But B, at the other time, why is she trying to keep Peacemaker out of the mission to Earth-3? Good point. Mm-hmm. So Peacemaker's been taken off the board for this particular mission. And I'm going to assume there's a reason why, even if we don't know what it is. Well, remember on the on our trip, uh, when we were trying to keep each other awake, we went through uh, we went through the entire Wikipedia and everything we could find online about the origin of Peacemaker and what makes him was that mm-hmm. his helmet contains the voices of all the people he's wronged. Was that, am I, am yeah. I or, or righted? I don't know. We were, we were tired. We, like, we, it's something like that. It's something on those lines, yeah. Like, whether it's actually true or whether it's just all in his head. Yeah. Yeah. But he's got all kinds of, he's got all kinds of, that's why the helmet's kind of shaped the way it is, something along those lines. That, that reminds me, you and I both have to call Ed tomorrow. Make sure we get that black label. Oh, yeah. We, we get that black label. We got to make sure. Um, God, there's, there's, there's a reason why John Cena is showing up on every interview in Peacemaker costume. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a brilliant marketing idea. I mean, like, I think that they're ripping off Deadpool because, you know, Ryan Reynolds stole... He's one of the only ones that's ever stole one of the costumes. People... Like, I remember seeing a video of, like, the people in Lord of the Rings that, like, you know, talking about what they <laughs> what they kept or they could have kept. And it was yeah. like, gifts or something that they had to abscond with in secret as opposed to taking a whole goddamn suit. But he's... They're, someone's polishing up uh, Peacemaker's... Uh, Knob there backstage. Make sure it's all nice and shiny. Somebody's gotta watch it. Somebody's gotta. Somebody's gotta. I mean, I really appreciate your insights on that one. That was something I didn't. I had like three bullet points on that one, and you, you, that was like some fertile ground there, man. I appreciate that that sort of uh, insight there. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, plus, you know, like I said, it's just the fact that we've got we've got an entire new squad, and they're they're slowly working in people. For the upcoming movie. Oh, yeah. And by the way, um, I'm officially broke for the next two years. Uh, Todd McFarlane, <laughs> uh, they released the McFarlane uh, Toys Direct, buy it from them so I don't have to go to the goddamn store. Um, the first thing they release is a special edition box set of the uh, Last Night on Earth set. Which Did you already own those? Yes, I do, but I don't have the goddamn box. And it pissed me the fuck off, because I heard you laughing at me in my fucking head. <laughs> the, the way you were when I found that, uh, that D&D uh, Soren set. And um, you're like, ah, he's got a new hat. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> like, there's nothing new in there except the fact that Bane is fully constructed because he falls apart very easily if you play with him, if you bought the Build-A-Figure. Um, but uh, the the trading cards that come with him uh, are all, like, beautiful painted monstrosities. You close it, and it just got the beautiful logo on there. And the, the, the one thing that still pissed me off about this, about Todd, was that the Wonder Woman did not come with Dr. Fate's helmet. I told you you should have just bought it when you had the chance. Yeah. Uh, I told you. It's going to yeah. eat you alive. Yeah. 
That goddamn helmet. Anyway, what you guys got next? Who's next? Chopping block. Hmm. Chopping block. What? Give us some Star Trek, man. Dude, the new Star Trek. Like the last Star Trek was phenomenal. Had that huge character moment between Spock and and Kirk, and this uh, this still did have like it carried over from that. And it hasn't exactly answered all of the questions I had about the whole Gary Seven and Aegis program uh, that I had from, you know, issues past. But it really did. It really did. uh, It was an. It was a. It was a telling chapter in that sequence uh, to see where they went with Gary Seven, and I'll get to that. But yeah, you and I talked about this off the uh, off the show recently because you know, it's kind of amazing Not to this have. Issue, though. Well, you, you know, you talked about this issue. It's kind of amazing to have you get this excited about something track that isn't TNG. Um, I gotta say, I like you. You know, the first page is awesome with that. The panels being triangular and all, you know, not necessarily honeycombed out, but that's the Tholian web, man. There's so many different angles here. Kirk's pointing out, and it's like a bug's eye view from, like, 45 degrees. We get the Mm -hmm. the crew, like, just emoting. We've got, like, uh, even just, uh, God, Spock breaking Gary's fucking goddamn wrist. (laughs) Yeah. And and, and jumping out of the way. Like, there's so many... Every every single panel in here is action packed and thoughtful, and every- oh, there's no wasted space in this issue. Precisely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Like every, uh, like the, when when you get into and I I fully appreciate this splash page with Spock and he's kind of phasing into the situation. Basically, the Tholians are attacking the Federation. Uh, and they're like, this is it. This is our finest hour. This is the apex. We're at the top of our S curve. Like, we can do this, everybody. We got to figure it out. What's the deal? And, and we, Spock gets absconded with. And we find out about the Borg. <laughs> oh yeah, for real. Like, Spock is shown uh, every instance in the future that's going to be relevant to the entire Alpha Quadrant. Uh, and it's like all these deaths from all of these wars are gonna. They're coming down, and it's going to be, you know, we need to destroy the Federation. We need to let Earth go. We need to let you and your friends go. Spock, you're the guy. You are the one who can come with me, Gary Seven, and stop all of this stuff from happening. And they point out the events of Star Trek VI with the Praxis moon exploding. They point out the Cardassians invading the Bajorans. They point out that Senkethi war that we don't really know anything about, but it is mentioned as the forming thing for uh, Captain Sisko in Deep Space Nine <clears throat> as a young lieutenant <clears throat> before the Battle of Wolf 359. And he goes in and deciphers that stuff. And then there's even a panel here depicting the uh, attack on Mars from the from those episodes of the Picard series. Yes, um, I don't know if you noticed that. But, uh, you know, yeah, and then we, we get down to the opportunity. You know, Spock, you can do it. But he does that, like, Superman 2 thing where he's like, you know, I'm going to use my Vulcan strength and crush your hand and, and take control of the situation. And Spock is, for one of the very first times 
even after that emotional situation where he says, I'm going to go to Vulcan and I'm going to purge myself of, of emotion and, and be, exist as a being of pure logic, he stands before Gary Seven in a moment where someone is handing him the opportunity to act on pure logic. And he says, well, I'm not uh, fully logical yet. I'm a human, and there's no way I'm going to let this stuff happen. I would never never betray the Enterprise. I would never betray my crew, and I would never betray my friends. And I'm like, this is the most telling moment in Spock's existence, and it's in a comic book, and it is not canon. And, like, and it is also... It is heartbreakingly great. It is heartbreakingly great. You're 100% correct on that, but it's also when he just made the decision to be Vulcan. And exactly. Simultaneously, choosing to be human, he chose to be Vulcan at the same time. The, the, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's ast- it's astonishing. It, it, he warps back into that other situation, this war that's happening, and uh, the uh, he's like, "Hey, I've got ideas. Here's what I think we should do." And everybody has an idea, as, and they're all like, "Okay, we can do this." Yes, no, I think we can do this. You're going too far. You're going too far. Oh no! He 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 warps back as captain. Exactly, oh, right. uh-huh. exactly what Kirk wanted, and to mm-hmm. prove to him. And then yeah. we get the most ridiculous set of like everything is perfect. Like everyone mm-hmm. on the crew, I have an idea. This will work. I think this will work too, and it all works. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, it's well, serendipitous. Everything works out perfectly. I don't want to spoil it for anybody what all of these different little things are, but I mean when I mean everybody, I mean the entire command crew, the bridge crew, Scotty, especially Uhura. They have just capitalized on the awesomeness that Uhura is and is capable of in this book in a way that the TV series never did and always should have. Now, like if when you go back to Star Trek 6 and she's like the thing's got to have a tailpipe, and you're like, oh, Uhura saves the day. Like, that is, yeah. that's what it should have been. Now, you're, you know? going, you're going too far again. <clears throat> you're going too far again. You didn't realize it. Uh, Uhura is doing the same thing that you and I have had countless conversations of about why Doug Seifert, uh, Douglas Ramsey from the X-Men that had the mm-hmm. mutant yeah. power of language was... yes incalculably better than just someone that can like punch someone in the sun. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And, and, if you, yeah. And Tony, we've had this conversation too. Mm-hmm. We've had the same conversation too. Uhura, she's like, I think I can do this. And she nails it. She, she, yeah. Like it, it's, it's serendipitous. You were hundred percent. It's, it's, it's hundred percent serendipitous, but it's also, that word implies the fact that luck is involved. The other, the 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 one uh, extra, like uh, you know, um, you know, scoop of gravy on our uh, turkey dinner at Christmas, because that's what this felt like, was the fact that the right people were chosen for the right job, and they executed. There was exactly fearlessness. <clears throat> like, like, remember, uh, Sue looks over and over at Chekhov, all like, "Are you calculating this by hand?" Yeah, you don't. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, like the, the the trust in himself. Yeah, he could have plugged it into the computer, but like to to 
have manual computations add so much extra to the to the narrative and it, it's it's one of those things when like i see when i see tony uh backstage and i ask how long did it take you guys to plan this barn burner you guys just did and he's like i don't know five six minutes fuck it he's like all right like five minutes all right cool <laughs> like I was filming for 15. My arms are tired. I got to go to the gym and figure out, like, <laughs> I, I, I actually have looked up uh, uh, exercises for photographers for their arms mm-hmm. not to get tired. And Yeah. Um, um, oh, you got to see these dudes who are using Ronin cameras and oh, stuff like that. Oh, I've seen that, man. Yeah. And um, it, it, it's like that. Tony, you, you've got that gravitas. Colin, we've had that gravitas in our everyday life when we're just planning out a fucking Saturday night and we decided to go out. Like, yeah, dude. Wait, what are we gonna do? I don't know, but we're gonna. It's gonna try this and blah blah blah, and then we had this crazy night. You this, know? It, tra- it translates into real life, and the the one weird constant that really threw me off was Spock going like, "Let's solve it through logic." Yeah. Let's solve the it opportunity through- to be in charge of that crew. I'm sorry, Mustis. <coughs> the opportunity to be in charge of that crew at that moment. And try to do things with logic instead instead of that kind of like fire from the hip aspect of Captain Kirk, which I gotta say, I mean, you go back and you look, you look at the original series and things happen and Kirk reacts to things and he sometimes he's got a plan. And then you go in and you look at like the J.J. Uh, Abrams Star Trek and I gotta say Kirk feels like he doesn't have a plan in that all of the time, but he really does. Like, it's astonishing that his plans seem so completely off the cuff, but they did a really good job with Chris Pine's version of him. And then, of course, in the movies, you know, Shatner always seems to have something up his sleeve. And I feel like that that this all plays out because everybody got an opportunity to contribute in some of the best ways. And then it whips around to where it's like, maybe it's all for naught. But, uh, uh, yeah, you know, I'm looking forward to the next issue. And I think that this is going to carry on. I, I, you know, in, in, a, in a feat of um, uh, artistic... Revelation, I saw one of the variant covers, and it was showing, like, the Constitution class refit and all the new uniforms and stuff like that that happened for the motion picture, and I'm like, okay, I want to I see that. I want to see how they do that, you know. Where does everybody go on their other assignments? And I'm like, you know, if you could spend the next, uh, you know, six issues showing me what everybody does for the next couple of years before the motion picture happens, and you got to take the new enter- new iteration of the Enterprise out. It would be totally worth it, whether I think anybody wants that or not. But you know, I'm I'm gonna finish this series, and I'm probably gonna sit down and be like, I'm gonna rewatch the motion picture now. I don't think this, I don't think this I don't think this series is gonna end for a really long time. <laughs> I, I hope it keeps going, Me but too. it depends. It depends on the licensing. You're six uh, or seven until we yeah. get to Admiral. When he oh, you can't. Him. I mean. Year five is the end of the the mission for them, and then they're at Earth, and Kirk should be promoted to Admiral. That's continuity. Um, Unless there's a time uh, war. Spock will go to Vulcan, you know. But, um, yeah, there's a whole lot of that stuff going on. But, uh, yeah, this is just a killer book. 
And it's amazing to bring back a character like Gary Seven, who seems all-powerful, and somebody that they could have called an ally, and uh, make him pretty much the villain here. And that was one of the things, Roddenberry, they generated that character and uh, Isis, and they wanted to do a spinoff series about those people. And uh, to this day, it's still something that could work, you know? Wonderful. I'm glad you didn't want to give yeah. away the ending, man, because it's, it's, it's... Yeah, I don't want to give away the ending. Everybody needs to... Everybody just needs to be checking this out. I, I talked to one of my retailers, and I'm like, dude, how have you not read this yet? It's fantastic. He's like, oh, I'm just waiting for it to come out and trade. And I'm like, I have a weird feeling like they'll have a super low print run. I have a really hard time coming up with any year four issues in back, back issues or anywhere, but... Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm, I'm, I hate to do it, but I might just get on eBay and see if I can find a lot of them. That means they're cherished. I, I, I hope so. I hope they stay in people's boxes. The uh, next thing I want to get into, man, uh, Tony. Uh, I'll be. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna have you put this. You be footsteps Falco on this, Falco. and I'll be Bateman. Take point on Batman 111. Alrighty. So Batman 111, we start off with uh, Batman and Scarecrow in some type of altered reality. So, obviously in Batman's mind, and Batman's like, I won't let you win. You know, soon you'll see everything, Batman. And we go back to the Unsanity Collective, and... Uh, Miracle Molly and Squeaks are being held captive and about to be murdered by Peacekeeper uh, Zero One, and you know they're they're doomed, doomed I say. But we see um, one of Miracle Molly's Miracle Molly's just like I just want to say goodbye first, and they allow her to do so, and she's talking to Squeaks, but we see that her her eye is able to um, show messages on it. And, you know, she's like, and she just looks at it, she's like, on my mark, kid. And the, the her eye says, scream. Bless you. And she ends up ducking down, freeing Squeaks, and Squeaks lets out a sonic blast to all the guard, or to all the peacekeeper and all the magistrates. And they take off running, and before anything too bad can happen, another Unsanity Collective member named Breaker jumps in. And he's just like, he's just, he is not going to let this happen. And he just holds he just holds the line while Molly and Squeaks make a break for it. Trying to just probably murderize Peacekeeper 1. That was one of the best cock punches I have ever seen in my life. Like... Peacekeeper Zero One is practically twelve feet off the air, <laughs> like, the, and it just says "brack." <laughs> yeah. I don't think so, brother. Ah, that's some wrestling shit. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but yeah, so they they, uh, they make a break for it. They end up in the back room with uh with the Wise, and turns out the squeaks has been shot. And she's saying, Molly's just like, we need a doctor. We need the hell out of here. 
and Wise is just like, you know, hey, if Breaker can't if Breaker can't hold them off, you know, who could possibly save us? And then right then the Bat family shows up. We've got Ghostmaker, Batman, and Harley Quinn over here trying to save the Unsanity Collective. And we've got Oracle listening in, trying to figure out how to how best to handle Peacekeeper with his his outfit with his uh, new outfit and all that. Now, now coming in as Bateman as this wonderful like splash page here. We got Harley Quinn, Batman, and Ghost Killer here. And one of the few lines I've enjoyed from Harley in the past probably twelve years: "You don't mess with the Bat Family unless you want to get hit with a motherfucking bat." Like the last time I heard a line <laughs> that good was in Kick-Ass. If you talk like a bitch, you're gonna get slapped like a bitch. And <laughs> that's like she the, just everything blazing, man. Like you know who's like, I love the fact that we were distracted by everything that was going on. For so long, not to mention how wonderful the art, uh, just everything here is just absolutely grade A choice, like Angus Mead here. Uh, just for a minute, I forgot what was happening, and then this happens. It, it, in my mind, when I turned the page, I was so involved in the story, I didn't see this coming. And that's what I loved first about this. But uh, yeah, no, we they're trying to get everyone's trying to get Batman's trying to get everybody to the ghost stream, which is Ghostmaker's jet, and they're, they're, <laughs> they're able to jump in and zoom out, and you know, or they, they're like, well, we all um, Simon Saints talking to Peacekeeper One, talking about how he, you know, it's almost time for the grand finale, and you know where to go, and Peacekeeper Number One is just like, hell yeah, I do. And it's interesting to see, because we're basically seeing the, you know, we're obviously seeing the origin of Peacekeeper 1, who apparently is going to be a huge villain down the road. But you can tell, like, he's still trying to get used to, like, he's got all the want and desire to, to handle, you know, everything. But he, at the end of the day, even with all his police training, he is in way over his head. And like we kind of we kind of see that we see that you see the anger in his face you see the fact that he is pissed off that he didn't just get the job done right now and this is this is now the second time Batman's escaped him so far oh yeah in the same goddamn hour <laughs> yeah and we go to an interview with uh, Mayor Nakano and Mayor Nakano is talking about how the um, the Unsanity Collective blew up the building last issue which was actually Simon. Saints, and uh, they're they're now a terror. They're now being qualified as a terrorist organization, and he is now dictating even more or giving more about more abilities as officers of the law to the magistrate. And now he's even talking about how Batman is now, you know, basically public enemy number one because he sided with the Unsanity Collective against the people of Gotham City. And he says, I, I swear to each and every one of you, I will bring peace and order to our city. And then this, you get this little side picture of Simon Saint just, be, just marveling at the, the fact that he has literally gotten everything he's wanted with this plan so far. 100%. You know, and then we, we go back to Ghostmaker trying to tend to, tend to squeaks 
you know, putting their, um, you know, put some bandages on their wound. And Molly's just like, you know, we're going to, you know, they're going to, we're, all we're trying to do is make things better. And Simon Satan is, his people are trying to make this trauma permanent. And, and she's angrily yelling at how he's going to break the city. And Batman's like, I'm going to go handle Scarecrow. This game's gone on long enough. He's on a line drive to fucking Oregon. Yep. The yeah. the question here I have is, okay, so we see Simon Saint talking to Scarecrow. Everything's going to plan. Eh, not really. Um, after the... And I need some input on this one. We're seeing Scarecrow gradually turn into a bigger version of himself. His costume has gotten so much more specialized than we've ever been used to. The last time I, I remember him being this specialized was in Last Night on Earth when he was ripped in half and his guts were practically falling off, riding uh, piggyback on Bane's shoulders. And uh, I guess it was in Elseworlds, but like, we still don't know. But after all the, the brutal beating that Peacemaker's gotten the entire night, this small little professor with the needles in his fingers breaks his mask in one swoop. Like, if you get to that splash page, and um, where has he got that power from? That's that's something else. Um, uh, if you zoom in a couple pages beforehand, getting to see his eyes through his lenses, through his gas mask, um, there's more going on to Scarecrow here. And the other thing, on uh, I read an article in a newspaper the other day talking about how the Scarecrow has become more relevant in... Um, comic them because what, <laughs> what what he's been doing is utilizing social media and media in general to generate even more fear as opposed to just gassing a place like he's he's covering every angle he can because uh, Gotham's been on lockdown for how long you know you can't go outside you know the people that are outside are all you know criminals and after uh, to a certain point, but the, this splash page, the power he had to break Peacemaker's uh, helmet and inject all of that fear venom into him, like that, I had to put the book down for a minute. Anything in regards that stood out to you about, about this scene, other than the fact that, of course, Simon Saint was, you know, masterminding this? Yeah, I mean, Simon Saint thought he was thought he could control the Scarecrow and. Yeah, you can't you can't control Scarecrow, but it's interesting. Like, this is another part. This, this seems like this could be another huge thing we look back on. You know, if Peacemaker ends up taking off as like a full time, you know, badass character, like ten years down the road, this could end up being a key issue where it's like, oh, this is where you know Peacekeeper lost his mind because of because they, they openly talk about how no man has ever gotten this much. Uh, fear toxin in one dose. Oh yeah. So what what does that do to somebody? Too much acid, so, man. Too much acid. Yeah. He's tripping <laughs> way too hard, and it's like looking back at the. You know, we might look back at this issue in ten years, and it might be you know, on eBay for hundreds of dollars, being like key issue, mm-hmm. because this is where Peacekeeper Number One lost his effing mind. Yeah. And he he's running. Simon Saints throwing up because he just got played. And for a guy, you know, this is a guy that was obviously 
not as smart as he thought he was. Freaking, and he turns around and you know his his number one weapon is now out the door, and he has no idea where he's going. And then right then and there, Batman ends up falling in. Cause freaking, you know, freaking Scarecrow knows he's there the whole time, and freaking pushes a button. Batman falls onto the ground, and we look up, and there's Scarecrow on top of him, talking about, "I have a lesson to teach all of Gotham City about fear, Batman, and you get to be my first pupil." Love it. Mm. And of course, James Tinney in the fourth got like he's knocking out of the park with everything. Something was uh, something's killing children. That's him. <laughs> That's like he's—he is the mastermind of horror at the moment. And the fact that Batman is scary right now, because this is scary, man. If they actually did this as a movie, like, mm-hmm. there's no way they'd make this as a movie. It's too scary. Uh, too much adult content. Uh, Ghostmaker would never make it on television or a movie for at least another ten years until uh, the collective conscience was ready for him. Um. Put that on the list. Make sure we have the first appearance. I'm sure you've got it. Well, I've got I've got all 111 issues of this so far. Yeah, you do. I've got I've got every Batman since freaking the uh, new 52. New 52, easy. Easy. Um, let's do Daredevil real quick, man. All right. Uh, let me take point on this guy. Chip Zdarsky. Uh, Writer, Mike Hawthorne, penciler, Adriano De, De Benedetto, inker, Marcio Mance, colors. Um, well, I'm going through this, and we, we talked about this off screen the other day, and you know we've got we've got a big problem here. We have it's not just a serial killer bullseye. It's it. He's empowered by the fact that he thinks that he is... God is telling him to do this. Um, The first thing that stands out to me is the relationship between Typhoid Mary and Kingpin. I need you here. And she gets pissed. She's about to leave. He grabs her by his ginormous hand and her tiny arm. And they both relent and realize that, you know, this is kind of useless. And, you know, we're not doing this again trying to possess each other. If you want me to stay, ask. And will you stay with me, please? What I can't remember the last time the Kingpin has ever said fucking please. I know he's been a gentleman and has said please in passing. But to mean it? But to mean it? Electra's on on guard. She's trying to find it. Bullseye. Everyone in, in Manhattan is on lockdown because we've got a lot of people down already because Bullseye is seemingly everywhere. And Murdoch is in jail. We've got his uh, bullshit fake-ass doppelganger that's uh, manipulating Hammerhead and and the Mafia crew here. Hammerhead gets his ass handed to him. Electra goes home. And her stray cat comes back. Alice. I'm sorry I ran out the other day. That really bothered me. Because I didn't think that Electra would take her back. After all the everything that Electra puts into about weakness, I didn't think she'd take her back. But when she proposes the idea about how Bullseye is moving around, and then it starts making sense, Bullseye knows that he's about to be assassinated again 
I'm sorry, uh, Daredevil, again, in, in prison, while in the hole, and just getting the better of everybody. Like, the, 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 the takeaway I have from this is how this whole issue is an empowering issue. Every single person involved, good guy, bad guy, ne'er-do-well, whatever you want to call him, um, Bullseye is exceptionally good at just murdering people on the street, moving undetectably. Murdoch just pwned the fucking warden. Electra just her straight cat <laughs> came back, and now she has the inside intuition about how he's moving about things. And we get to Murdoch coming to the the the, the big iron gate underneath the prison and. There's an explosion because they're doing some sort of fucking experiment, which I think has to be involved with Ravencroft, uh, because it's underground and we've got some mad scientists here. And we find out that there's multiple bullseyes. And Electra is outnumbered. What were your takeaways from this one, man? Like, uh, I just like the fact that it was an empowering issue for... Like, I would think that Wilson Fisk is doesn't have the Ghanas at the moment to really, you know, go full force the way he always does, because Typhoid's always been hurt. They're in the hospital again. I mean, like, they, they've gone through the gauntlet. What has it been, like, two days since the Battle of Hell's Kitchen? Maybe? Probably something along those lines, yeah. Maybe? Maybe a day? <laughs> well, that's the thing, is, like, because we got, you know, we don't know exactly what the experiments Fisk was running on Bullseye was. Right. Like, you know, I'm not, you know, was that maybe a he was legitimate. I believe it was. Yeah. But all of a sudden, you know, you know, we I don't know if it's like a thing where they cloned Bullseye or Bullseye's able to make more of himself. <clears throat> maybe maybe this is maybe he's got some kind of mind powers where they're not actually real, but he can dictate that they're real to Electra. So there's a couple different avenues they could take with it, which is always the best way to do it. You know, leave it up to interpretation until the next issue. You know, like I looked at Electra and Alice a little bit differently because I thought I thought it was growth on Electra's part. Great point. To, to accept somebody in there. Great point. Because you know. She really, like Electra talks about it. She realizes that the path she's walked is probably not meant for Alice. You know, you can't just force somebody to be you. Yeah. You know, and, and even if you're not, doesn't mean you're not useful. Like Alice gave her that whole thought process about, you know, freaking um, about Bullseye that she was able to utilize to finally find him. So, and then we uh, talked about Matt. You know, Murdoch got put in solitary confinement. Daredevil did. And it turns out he did that intentionally because it was right by the warden's office. Yep. So now he, he could be, you know, most normal people couldn't hear what the warden was saying, but Daredevil sure could. And that's how he knew about the, um, the guards coming to kill him. You know, and of course he was able to, you know, utilize that to you know, make sure that didn't happen and escape. Well, maybe not escape all the way, but get to that room right before it exploded. You know, so it would definitely be interesting to see what happens with that room when it explodes or what comes afterwards. What were they actually looking for? Or what were the, uh, you know, 
what were they there to do? You know, does that, I'm sure at some point it'll end up leading into the, the story with Bullseye, but we're not, we're, we're not there yet. You know, so. I, I think after everything you just said that we're going to get a swerve very soon. Uh, you've got every issue. We all got every issue. Mm-hmm. Did yep. any of us see Typhoid Mary being the fucking nun? Because I put the book down and been like, what the fuck? How did we not see that coming? <laughs> oh, I had no idea. How nope, the fuck did we not see that coming? Um, if Bullseye is... Bullseye is a fucking thug. He's not a angelic creature that can, you know, multiply himself. There's something going on here. And after that Typhoid Mary Mary swerve, um, it popped in my head when you, when you were giving me your, your, your two cents on this man. And it was more like a a solid, not a two cents. It was like, you took me out to a steak dinner. We're about to get some fucking amazing swerve here. Cause like I said a second ago, how the fuck was that typhoid mirror and we didn't see it coming? <laughs> well, see, multiple bullseyes is like ah, it's awesome. You it know, and awesome. I didn't even look at, I didn't even realize till looking at the end, the last page. But one of the bullseyes actually has a knife in Electra's back. Oh, I didn't, I didn't catch that at the very last page. Let me pull that back up. Cause you know, there's there's a knife with blood on it coming out of her back. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so not only is there, you know, anywhere between three to four bullseyes in this immediate vicinity, at least, you know, Electra's wounded. And she has an amazing tailor. Like, she just pulled out that Daredevil costume (laughs) very quickly. No, it's that guy from the, uh, from way, way back. Did you ever, there's that uh, Spider-Man issue where... All of these heroes were going to that tailor and oh, villains yeah. sometimes. Magneto, <laughs> Doctor Doom, Captain America, uh, any number of guys. And uh, that dude was like, "Yeah, you got, you know, I'll fix you up and send them out, and everything would be fine." Everybody knew about him, you know. Probably what it is. Let me run through Cable real quick, guys. Issue mm-hmm. twelve is the antithesis of the last cover of Young. Cable, Kid Cable, eye burning from one side of his face. We got old ass Cable, one of my favorite action figures of all time. And they've just interrupted the uh, satanic ritual within another realm that Strife is commanding. And it's 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 a beautiful coup. Like they realize that this is an ongoing fight here. It wasn't that the the key of what's going on is the fact that Cable created Kid Cable or found Kid Cable and Kid Cable killed Big Cable back uh, about a year and a half ago and um, excuse me, I see Bless you. And both the cables realize that this is an ongoing struggle. This is never going to end. Kid Cable's girlfriend shows up, Esme, and she's like, listen, uh, I love you. I realize what 
your problem is, and I I adore it, and it's it's a full on melee. Uh, Deadpool, everyone, it, like it, it's it, it's one of the few times I've seen the the good guys roll in with a fucking wrecking ball and just knock things down. Like uh, Strife is trying to get Esme out of his head, you know, get out of my head, you witches, you know, because Jean's there too. And he's like, give me my powers back. And he's like, technically they're my powers because you know they're, they're all clones and you know, who really is the real one i'm sure they're gonna they're gonna explore that sooner than later and uh well isn't krakoa for all mutants um kid cable old ass cable got a gun on him you know like i i, I seek asylum technically from since krakoa started they would have had to put their guns down kid cable's like my ears are ringing uh, i couldn't hear him uh, yeah, my ears are always ringing. Uh, I think he said make it quick, and they just fucking execute his ass. <laughs> just, just fucking just execute him. It's a gorgeous splash page. Deadpool is like, goddamn, excellent kill. <laughs> and they return the, the sword, and but still keep it, and plant the seeds of the metal man that came from nowhere about like eight issues ago. And his flowers growing after his blood dropped, and he's saying goodbye to Esme, uh, Kid Cable. You know, I gotta, you know, go. I gotta go. And he's saying all his goodbyes. It was more of a goodbye issue, more than meat and potatoes there. But um, <clears throat> he goes with Cable, and he's got a question. No questions. But but no, no questions. And we flash to a scene in the future where Cable is working on an extra arm of his deactivates it and older Esme is like uh, go easy on the kid old man because she already knew what he was going to do and it's you know I always bitch about time travel stories but this one has so much heart so much goddamn heart Uh, the the cable gives him the extra arm it's got the, the tattoo that kid cable loved and they go prowling through the future and uh, one of the, the, the babies are all returned, the mutant babies. Uh, two of them returned when only one was stolen and one of the eyes lights up. It's, you know, where's Strife? Because it, it's, it's an eternal battle. And I, I think they're planting the seeds for... Because you know, we've read Executioner's Song. Um, we've seen what Strife can do. But we've never had any, like, end-all, be-all of, like, silencing strife, like, logically for a while. Like, you, you know, uh, Tony, like, the other day, and I was, like, you know, bitching about that they really should have put Nightcrawler to rest for, like, 20 years. Yeah. Um, there's never been a really good story where they would put strife to rest like that to eventually bring him back and, like, you know, make us all pop in 20 years. But... I'm hoping they're getting to it. Um, something is killing the children. Another James Tinney in the fourth. Uh, we're getting the story of Erica uh, of when she's inducted into this, the House of Slaughter. And she's told that it's hurt. It's going to hurt. And we meet this new gentleman. He's got this big ranch. Uh, he makes her bacon and eggs. They go into a barn. And he makes her present a effigy of the, the stuffed doll she had that they encapsulated the the monster that killed her family and her friend. And he unleashes it because the the test was whether or not she could face it again. 
it comes out, it attacks. We see her go down, he leaves the barn, goes up to her new mentor and says, uh, you should have fucking warned me. She's probably fucking dead. <laughs> and we got about 24 hours. Um, don't make me day drink by myself. She's like, fuck yeah, let's go. Uh, quick, easy, me and my monster part three. It, it was, if any of you guys have ever, or Minefielders have ever read like any like Norse mythology uh, or um, books that they didn't get from one of those hoity-toity, like mm-hmm. we sell a lot of oils and herbs, Wiccan stores yeah. where you got you got some legit occult books. Uh, he did his goddamn research because <laughs> it, it it hit hard on this one, guys, and uh, I. I I technically told you the end of the story, but I didn't give you any spoilers, if that makes sense. Yeah. But uh, I just need to run, I just needed to run through that fast, guys, because there's so much more meat and potatoes, and I, I, I picked these little ones because there's heart to them, and I uh, just don't want to give too much away, but, like, God, Esme and Cable, old Cable, man, like, the fact that, like, Cable's never had a girlfriend? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's gonna be a cuckoo. Like, well, the the, the fact of of growing up with Cable, and mm-hmm. he was always alone. You know, part of the Asani, and like, as we all grow older, you and I all have um, matriarchal or girlfriends, girlfriends or wives that have shaped us in a really positive way. I've never seen that with Cable. And then to come at full circle, or more like in a, in an interdimensional, inter-time spiral, where a wonderful uh, telepath that can fuck him up at any fucking moment if he, you know, you know, uh, not betrays her, but, you know, goes a little bit astray. Yeah. Like, I, I love that, that extra spice to the story, and then to sum it up with something is killing the children. Like and I we've got um new comic book day coming up where House of Slaughter is coming up and you know I've been popping for that for a while. I was looking for that like two months ago when we thought it was happening that day. Um Tony. But give us some uh wind us up with some Star Wars man because I need some Star Wars for some sweet dreams. <laughs> for sweet dreams. Man, this is one. This this is this is an interesting thing to me. This this story. This is Star Wars: Dark Empire. Uh, you can get this right now in a collection that includes Dark Empire Two and Crimson Empire. Those those stories suck. They suck shit. I don't use the language much, but I hate those stories. Um, like this eating, is where it was a at. Piece of poop straight out of the ass. <laughs> Nah, more like it was baked on a pizza and you didn't know about it. It's just like, oh, this is going to be awesome because I love pizza and, I, and I've and i had this pizza before and then Jeez, you're like, whoa, yeah. this is not good. Something so, poop. This, the reason why I'm making a, a point of this story is this, in this, is this, this particular is this, book. Is this piece of pizza poop uh, got a German name? 
Dude, I wouldn't know. I'm not. Uh, it's it's got to be German. Not into that. If, if poop is couldn't, in pizza, tell you. if poop is in pizza, it's German. And I hope I don't offend any of our uh, German I'm sure listeners. there's an industrial nightclub somewhere that you can go to and ask somebody. <laughs> in, but, Germany. Uh, in Germany. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, when I was a kid, I was picking up a lot of Robotech comics. And uh, we went to um, one of our local stores the Comic Connection on Main Street in Stillwater, Oklahoma. And I go in there, and I'm seeing, I'm looking for Robotech comics, and I'm seeing the glass case that has some, uh, no, they didn't have that yet. Uh, you know, just the, the different, I'm thinking, of, I'm blending my time periods. And for this was the first time I ever saw a, a non, I mean, I'd been reading Robotech, which was, you know, Comico. But this was the first time that I could remember seeing another company that wasn't DC or Marvel. Uh, And here it was. There's this Dark Horse book. And it was issue number two, Star Wars Dark Empire. And something about the light hitting that book this way in this dark environment. And I was fascinated because I could not see what I was looking at. If you look at the cover of this, it's got Luke Skywalker standing there and he's got a cape on that is very draculated you know he's got a lightsaber in one hand and he and he is dark except for around his eyes the light is hitting his eyes and it centers on him and then there is a giant like blowtorch pair on either side of them that turns out to be a world devastator and this was all uh, under the title which was uh, one of those gold foils uh, for the, for that release, and I was like, I got to get a copy of this. I got to get this. Is there a number one? No, there was no number one. So I picked this one up, and uh, and I got number three, and then I got into this, and my mind was freaking blown because this this comic book took place after the Thrawn trilogy that I kept trying to tell you guys about last year. And uh, uh, it, this is paid attention. This is this was in the expanded universe. This was canon. This comic book series was so well done and such a good story that all of the authors writing expanded universe novels had to pay attention to it. Um, so what we have here is this takes place five six years after Return of the Jedi. Uh, the Rebels had a couple of Star Destroyers that they captured. Lando and Wedge were, uh, and Luke had gone back to Coruscant because they were dealing with, like, a, an Imperial Civil War. The Empire had taken control of Coruscant again. Um, and they're like, we gotta go down there, we gotta, like, get artifacts and take things away from there that we don't want falling back into the Emperor, Emperor, Empire's hands. And, uh, and Luke gets sucked up into a giant storm. He's like, there's something coming for me. I've got to go. I'm going with it, whatever it happens. So Luke and R2 get sucked up in this storm right when everybody shows up trying to rescue them. And it's the Emperor. The Emperor is there. And he beautifully rendered like illustrations with, with uh, just the world, world's finest like watercolors. This whole book is legit like awesome. this is before we were doing 
uh, le- this is when we were actually hand lettering stuff. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating because sometimes there's a little tilt to it. You can tell that it was like maybe taped on there before you know when they did it or how whatever the process was. But it blew my mind when I was when I was reading this in like middle school or junior high and being like, I can't believe how good this looks and the uh, the articulation. Uh, the the representation. Every character looks like who they're supposed to look like, but they just make Luke look terrifying. Uh, he, his weird. first appearance in this even comes out with him looking more like an apparition of Darth Vader than uh, than Luke, and you don't really understand why. It's because his concept as the good guy in this is to join the dark side. To learn its secrets from the emperor, and to uh, to use this to defeat the dark side from within. Well, simultaneously, the emperor has got everything back together. All of these warring factions, it's over, and the re- the rebels are rebels again. And they're like, "What are we going to do? We got a unified empire coming after us again, and they're really making headway. Uh, they're coming from the deep core star systems." And they have these powerful world devastators. We can't even get close to them. We can't find a way to penetrate their their shields or their home. They're just pouring energy down on these planets and ruining them and then sucking up that raw material and then fashioning new robotic TIE fighters and shit. You just can't deal with it. And this is, I remember reading this and being like, that's better than a Death Star. Instead of showing up with something that is so big and so powerful, you got one, you got this fleet of things nobody can deal with, and then you've got Luke turning to the dark side, and Han and Leia having to go, and they're like, "Well, how are we going to get into the core worlds, and how are we going to, how are we going to sneak in there?" And then you know they they're like, "Well, you know, let's go find one of my old smuggling buddies, and we'll see if they've got a license to be able to get of there, course. and we can rescue Luke." Exactly. So you've got all the greater stuff going on with our reg- regular rebel heroes. This is so well put together. Just the idea of here's a big deal. These characters are going here. These characters are going here. Their stories will eventually converge at the right moment. And blah 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 blah. That is exactly how virtually all of those expanded universe novels work. And for this six part series to come across like this it really really worked um that was just the formula for that for the 90s in writing star wars stories and i am not kidding i mean like this is this this redefined my concept of star wars this this went in and talked about jedi powers and the force in a way that really nobody had tried to do and you got to think we didn't have the Clone Wars was still something that was this mystical. mystical. You know, we have no idea what the never, fuck it is. We're never going to have any. Yeah. Maybe we're going to, you know, what are we going to do with this next Star Wars movie? Is there even going to be a new Star Wars movie? There were three Star Wars movies. And you've got these stories and this beautifully rendered artwork and these vast alien landscapes. And like I say, you know, you've got your hero turning to the dark side. There's a lot, a lot of like frantic, you know, oh my god, what's going to happen reading this? And uh, 
I, you know, I mean, I was waiting for the next issues to come out. And then because I was a kid and I couldn't get to the comic book store, I didn't have an issue one or an issue six for like three years. Oh, and I just poured over those those four middle books forever over and over and over again. And I still have those issues. I would never give those up. Those are those are like those are relics, holy relics to me as far as Star Wars stuff goes. And, uh, you know, I mean, I finally got those issues and I could read it from beginning to end. And then there was an audiobook presentation of this. And, like, there were different actors portraying each character with really good sound effects and music. And I remember having my wisdom teeth taken out and then, like, coming back and laying down. I'm like, yeah, put that on cassette tape. And I'm listening to this story, and I was passed out, like, halfway through the first issue. I had to wake up for five days. But, uh, I mean, uh, this is just huge, guys. And right now, the Marvel license, the Marvel company through Disney, of course, they've got Star Wars. So this has been reprinted. And, like, everything has been lately that Disney has got its hooks into, like Aliens, like we talked about recently. They're reprinting all of this old stuff that's very good, and they're they slapping should. a Marvel logo on. Well, and uh, even though they, I don't have a problem them, seeing they, new, they, new versions of this, but it is going to cause create confusion for people down the road. As long as, um, as, long as it doesn't fuck with continuity, or they edit it, especially if they edit some stuff they don't want out of it. You know, so far, I haven't encountered anything where anybody was able to. Uh, uh, eliminate uh, continuity. Slip one past us. Yeah. So what I'm going to say is that uh, let me find my oh bugger it. There we go. Uh, when you get in here and you're looking at this, I mean uh, Tom Vitek and Pete James with a bunch of different other people worked on this, but I always remember this being Tom Vitek and Cam Kennedy Cam Kennedy's artwork always blew my mind. There are a ton of artists on this, and a big, you know, couple of handfuls of, of uh, colorists who were all doing this um, really kind of muted, atmospheric watercolors. I'm going to say, like, if you're listening to us right now and you've never seen this before, it's at least worth looking at. So the next time you go to your store, Go in and find a copy of this and flip through it. And if you can't, if you can't, get online and look at the artwork from this because it'll blow your freaking mind. Who's shuffling magic cards? What is that noise? <laughs> like, and then like I'll say that even Dark Empire Two, the artwork is phenomenal. The story is just like, in it just it's just like guys, you just did that. You just did that. Like, can you do something that's completely different? And I even had a talk about this with one of my retailers uh, yesterday. I'm like, yeah, man, I just reread that, and I want to get a copy for my son and whatever, but I'm like, I've got it, so I might as well give him copies to read. And uh, I just remember loving the first one and then hating the next two that they did, and he was like, that's what they did back then. They would throw out this incredible idea they would do something with it, and then whoever got the license for the for it the next time was like, we can't figure out another thing to do with it. And that's kind of what happened with, I think, some of the alien stories, even and the predator stuff. But uh, anyway, yeah, I mean, this is just this is, yeah, yeah. It's mind blowing. Six issues. Do you find any of those foil 
title uh, covers, they go for, a, I don't know, several, a lot more than the other ones that do anyways. But you can find this collected. You can probably find it secondhand in a lot of places, and you can find reprints galore. And it is so worth it. Uh, I, I see stuff that they did in this in these, in this story that showed up in a lot of other movies. Obviously, like, you know, the Emperor being resurrected and coming from a clone body and all this other stuff. And, you know, it's just it's stuff that happened in Rogue One came from this. Stuff that happened in the prequel or the... Not not necessarily the Clone Wars uh, trilogy or, or the, the prequel trilogy very much, but uh, I, you know I don't think there's a whole lot of ideas out there, and so people are going back to you know, hey, what was good source material when I was a kid? Or what was safe? Because people are okay yeah. with it in some way. <laughs> yeah. Like we're, we're never gonna get a falling down for another ten years. <laughs> but, yeah. Like uh, I, I remember when. Uh, things started going askew about nine years ago i was really hoping it would inspire a lot of good art the way that the how bad it was from the tail end of the 70s we had kiss we had jimmy carter we had a gas shortage we had taxi driver we had we we had so many like art out of pain and and i i remember foreseeing this and thinking like I hope that we're getting a lot of good art out of this and now they're resurrecting some stuff that I hope that some people that really want to make some kick-ass Star Wars stories are going to get inspired from I mean like I, I remember uh, we've said this before about how uh, uh, Abrams was like well we can't satisfy everyone and then you know there's that meme where it's that same photo of him saying that and and uh, Favreau is like you know hold my beer because the Mandalorian was fucking incredible <laughs> Like, yeah, that's another. I'll be sitting down and watching that yeah, soon. I still haven't watched it. What was that? I still haven't watched it. I've fallen asleep watching Mandalorian it's, like two times. I, I will end up watching it's it. It's okay. It's okay. We got Picard Season 2, and I appreciate you pointing out that I don't give a fuck about anyone in Star Trek unless they're next gen because I'm just like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're, we're, we're coming up to the last couple episodes. Um, Tony and I found a uh, X-Files expert guide because I want to be as expert in the X-Files as you are in Star Trek and I've got a bunch of the... I've got I've got all of the top comics and IDW ones. Um, all of them. Like, uh, um, what was the... Atomic Pop and Norman had them all and it took me four years to get them all. I, I would buy like two... two to a session every time I went in, uh, and even the negative one zero got the. But I I I, I digress. Um, I love I love your expert arsenal dissection of how this goes. I I really want to do an episode of where we do uh, the Nintendo sixty four Star Wars game. Uh, God, what was that one? Let me look it up real quick because it, it, it followed Dak Rendar in 16... Oh, Dak Rendar, that was uh, Shadows of the Empire. Shadows of the Empire, yeah, yeah, Dak Rendar. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite games of all time. <laughs> like, I'd love to play that with you. Um, yeah. Just uh, like you, me, Tony, we get a, a couple of bottles and we pretend it's fucking 1995 and we're staying the night at our buddy's house 
staying up till fucking 7 a.m. and beating a fucking game. <laughs> because in in oh, the bottles of root beer then bottles of root beer yeah Only like bottles, 15 at the time bottles 14, of root beer 15. We'll, we'll get some weed too it'll be cool <laughs> and uh that way we don't we don't all pass out but like like to for a bunch of homies to get together and beat a game i, I say y'all digest on it of what if we were all to get together go to some comic stores during the day go on the fucking hunt Execute maximum efficiency, efficiency, um, and then stay up all night playing a video game to beat. Whether if it's PlayStation One, sixty four, um, whatever it is, we put it on tape and make everyone jealous that we have the fortitude and the great people in our lives to make sure that they would give us just a day to have some fun. <laughs> Yeah. J- yeah. J- just a day to have some fun because, like, I guarantee you, like, if we went to a bunch of comic stores, spent the money we didn't have back in the day, we uh, do that every time we go. Yeah, well, pretty, <laughs> pretty much, but but put, put it on camera. You, you've, seen, you've seen me shopping for old X Factor comics. No shit, Jesus man. Christ. Hey, you've got that fucking. Got like twenty issues. You've got that fucking stray dogs, man. Sell that motherfucker and get all them other shits that you don't have yet. That that was three fifty. Invested in your fucking collection. Sell that motherfucker. That's true. Sell that motherfucker. I don't. I don't think you'll like that comic. I don't think you're gonna care if you don't have it. Like I do know if I sell my fucking Carnage first appearance, I'm gonna regret that for the rest of my life. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. Um, but um, minefielders, find a group of people like this because I keep bringing this up, and I'm I'm not just trying to be sappy. Because uh, we're always sappy, um, but it, I, I keep having these interactions, especially after a really, really bad weekend, and being the the spotlight shown on how fortunate I am. But I worked for it. I wasn't lucky. <laughs> I we we all worked for where we are. We all have careers. We all are putting the the work and the sleepless nights and the keeping each other late night driving from Lubbock to fucking back to Colorado Springs, putting the work in to something better. It's out there, guys. Um, Please just go explore. Like, if you don't know where to go, go buy a, a, a starter deck of Magic the Gathering for like 20 bucks and then show up at a Friday Night Magic not knowing how to play and play the people that are waiting to play the next round. They are ready and ready yeah. and willing to play you and also teach you. You go to your local your comic fed and that's a thing now. Um and tell them what you like and the dude will will show you or the or the gal at at at, at the counter. And maybe someone will see that you're reading these. And next thing you know, you get a friend. Or you get a friend playing Magic the Gathering. What we're doing here at Minefields is not accidental. And it means something. And it's... Go find your own. Because it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's out there. Like, uh, I had a weird weekend, guys. Um, well, at the same time, we're happy to have you all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're, we've got a lot of uh, really good faithful listeners, and um, we've told you what to 
what we think is good and what we think is bad and you know be sure to email us and hit us up but you know hopefully we'll sometime soon colin will come to colorado mm-hmm. and we can do the hunt and and then do the <laughs> Do the next fucking iteration of awesomeness of where we stay up all night and beat a fucking game. <laughs> oh my gosh! Beat a goddamn maybe, game. Maybe maybe Elder Scrolls. Elder Scrolls? That's a that's not bad. That was a joke. That's like a fifty-hour game or some nonsense. Oh god damn it! That's you. That's that's yeah, we got our we got our Tony. We you got know, our, in other in other Suicide Squad though, let me pull, let me pose a question real quick. Cool. S is in G's question. All right, all right. Freaking Suicide Squad out this weekend. Yeah. Who's who's the first person to die? Peacemaker. Hands down, Peacemaker. I'm going Javelin. <laughs> no! Javelin's, Javelin's toast. Why Javelin? <laughs> he's he's going to be the first one to go. I, I figured you'd pick Polka Dot Man, man. <laughs> oh, no. Polka Dot Man survives. I'm saying John Cena because the way they're they're toting him around, like it's gonna they might. be. It's, you could be right. It's it's a WWE plus his, plus plus his series is a freaking uh prequel. It's a prequel, exactly. Oh, so you got you got anybody calling? Dude, I don't know the characters well enough to be able I to even know anything. Do. I need to. I need to uh, watch the first one. I, I have no idea. No, you don't need to watch the first one because it's it's like I think there's like two or three same characters, but it's it's related to the first one, but uh-huh. it really has no no bearing on the on this movie. Oh, okay. Wow. All right. Yeah. So that's why freaking I'm going either I think Javelin or Mongal will be the first ones to go. Like I don't know. Like I'm, I'm, I, I love Suicide Squad. I've been reading it since the first, uh, since the New Fifty Two. Yeah. And I freaking, I've got like a couple issues of the first, first run initial. Yes, sir. But like, and I still don't know half of these characters. Like Bloodsport, Bloodsport, Peacemaker. Neither one of those were characters in the in the Suicide Squad until now. That was a solid hour in the car of learning Peacemaker. Like yeah. we, we 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 did a we did a deep dive on Peacemaker, like of a solid just like me reading <laughs> to yeah. keep to keep Tony awake because he insists uh. on driving. <laughs> um, yep. and, and I wasn't even drinking. Um, well, yeah, no, we had a. I must say, the only members that are like Harley is obviously a squad member from previously. Uh, Boomerang, King Shark. I think that's it from the actual from the until Bloodsport and Peacemaker came on with the current iteration of the squad. Just popped in my head the kid that got cast to play Blue Beetle is the main kid from Cobra Kai. Oh nice. no way! I can't. I'm oh. so stoked about that because that kid has heart, and you gotta have some heart to play Blue Beetle because he doesn't have that good of powers. But uh. He <laughs> was an amazing character. Screw you, dude. I never, I never said he was a bad character. I said he didn't have that good powers. He's got, a, he's basically Iron Man from space. Doomsday. Uh, no, you're talking about Booster Gold. No, I'm talking, about, I, I'm talking about Blue Beetle, Jaime Reyes. 
All right. Well, yeah. He, yeah. he is he is a young freaking Iron Man from space. Well, I only he's not as smart, obviously. After Doomsday ran over him like a Mack truck, and uh, that was I'm, I'm pretty sure that wasn't freaking. He didn't get um, killed. He didn't get killed. He got hurt yeah. real bad. But yeah. I've, never, I, I've never thought of him as a as a tough character. <laughs> but um, well, that, dude, his armor is amazing. No shit. Yeah, I yeah, agree. that armor is badass. I agree. Yeah. I agree on that one. But that I, I can't even pronounce the kid's name. It starts with an X. Let's see what the hell. Xanadu. Xanadu. God, I think it's a Madame Xanadu. Don't do that. Xylophone. Cool. Xander. No, it's like an X something X. Javier. No. It's. Let's see. He's not Ralph Macchio. It's, oh, you're talking about the actor. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so he he plays Miguel Diaz. Uh, mm-hmm. It's X O L O. So solo. Zolo. Zolo Mariduena. Yeah, that kid's a boss. Yeah, he's a boss. I can't wait to see him as Blue Beetle. That that's gonna be excellent. Um, we've got some leaked news about. Uh, Black Adam, that The Rock doesn't have a padded costume. Of course he doesn't have a padded costume. <laughs> Absolutely not. I can't wait to see uh, uh, the the latest Justice League that came out. Uh, Black Adam is so key in that. I, I'm loving the fact that he's becoming more and more of an integral force within the Justice League. Um, I think that's all I got, guys. I'm kind of juiced out. Yeah, I'm a little worn out. We all have to get up and work tomorrow. We all got to get up yeah. and work. Yeah. We get all Good these... show, though. Great show. Yeah, we, we got this. Uh, we get them walking through the minefields. We're... I have not released Gorilla Warfare 2 because Kurt is still working on some of the uh, interludes of the stop motion. He sent me another one. He's making two more he should have by Sunday and waiting for Tristan to send the... Uh, commentary back. I want it to be as juicy as possible. And um, mm-hmm. we do good work and we work for good people and we know good, great people and uh, Tony, send us off, man. It's your turn. <laughs> Alright. This transmission is dangerous. This transmission is over. <laughs> Welcome tired. to my <laughs> All right, good night, guys. Peace. Later.